very first book of the Bible tonight. If you have a copy of the scriptures, would turn with us, please. And I'm going to be preaching out of the first part of chapter 46. Genesis number 46 in God's Word. I want to read also a little later, we'll call our attention to a verse or so in the book of 2 Timothy. That's chapter 4. Genesis number 46. I mentioned Sunday morning when the Lord paid us such a refreshing visit in the music that my heart was so full I couldn't hardly talk. And that's the case tonight. But I'm not complaining. I like it when he's doing that. In his presence is fullness of joy. Times of refreshings come from his presence. And uh, I think I have said it every year. Let me say it again tonight. I tell you, it's your music just, uh, well, I don't have words to adequately express what I feel and the blessing that I receive from your music. God bless you for it and the reality of the Lord that's in this place. I love your preacher and his family and this is uh, always a good week for me. I, as most of you are aware that last year I wasn't able to come. Someone said to me when I came in on Sunday morning, said, we missed you last year. I said, yeah, I miss being here and uh, I mean that. And Brother Ken mentioned, I think, Ken, it was uh, 89, I believe, when I first came to your pulpit the first time. We had the privilege of meeting. We spoke together, and uh, it was in 1988, in a, in a meeting together up in our area. And Brother Ken was gracious and invited me to come. And I came for a weekend, I believe, if I remember correctly, the first time. And then uh, almost every year since, I think, I've had the opportunity and the privilege of coming and sharing with you. So it's a joy to open his word with you again tonight. And uh, I meant to say earlier that, uh, and have the preacher to mention to those of you in the prayer room that uh, I'm not over there at the room sleeping while you're back there praying. And so I, I, uh, I deeply appreciate the, the commitment to prayer. I, anyone that knows me knows that uh, uh, that I do, and uh, I, I'm aware I put uh, try to put much emphasis on, as I preached here one night, that I, I think God works in answer to prayer. Someone helped me years ago. He said, Preacher, don't ever forget, God works in answer to prayer. And he said, God at work is your greatest need. You quit praying, God quits working. And I believe that, and so I, I appreciate uh, you praying and committing your heart to seeking the Lord. And many have said to me, Brother Hurt, we've earnestly asked God to touch you, and, and I appreciate that. And so I, I'm just, I guess, uh, someone said, Brother Hurt's kind of peculiar preacher, and said, uh, told another preacher that, and he was telling me, and he, this preacher didn't know me, and he said, Brother Hurt, sort of, he's a loner, said he don't like to fellowship, and the fellow said, hey, you don't know Brother Hurt, he, he likes to fellowship, but he's just selective in the times he does it. And so I, I don't fellowship before preaching, I, I'm not over there asleep, but I, I'm trying to prepare my own heart and seek the Lord, and I just got in that habit, I guess, so 
I never visit with people at least three hours before preaching time. I like to just get along and stay with the Lord and meet with Him in the Word. So I wanted to say that so you wouldn't, wouldn't think that I'm over there asleep. I preached, I went to one place, and the preacher, he didn't know me, he called a friend and said, how can I get along with Brother Hurt? said, uh, you know, he's coming to preach for me. You've had him for years and said, uh, what do I need to do to get along with him? He said, put him off somewhere by himself and leave him alone. And said, you'll get along just fine. Well, when I got there, he, he, he had a place where he put me. It was a campground was a, in the wintertime. Nobody around there. I mean, way back in a wooded area. And he called the rector of that and got him to open one of the doors of the dormitory and put me in there. Wasn't a soul in 10 miles of that place. <laughs> I drove back there the first night, and I thought, great day. <laughs> You know, I didn't want to complain. I thought I'd probably put all of them. He said, my brother Hurt, when he normally put them over here and had a Hampton Inn, real nice motel over close, you know. <laughs> but he said, one of your friends said, you like it alone. said, you're a loner. I said, no, I'm not that much of a loner, amen. <laughs> Get me out and back in there. I said, that's scary. That ain't my lock on the door. Uh, I pulled the dresser across the door. Lord knows I did, you know, and pulled it across there. Had my 38 with me, and I laid it out where I could get a hold of it. It's spooky in them woods. <laughs> but uh, I've enjoyed uh, my time here. God bless you. Good to see my friends, the Braves, with us again tonight. We've, uh, I've been out west with him in some meetings. I understand he's headed back west tomorrow. And we're out there in Oregon, and I've preached for him out there. In fact, uh, I've preached for him in different places, and we appreciate you being here again with Chuck Lucinda. I'm in a passage of Scripture tonight that uh, I think I mentioned, uh, I know I did last night, and I have others at times in this pulpit, that sermons that I share with God's people has, first of all, been God's Word to my heart. And uh, this is no exception tonight. This passage was a, a, a passage of Scripture that the Lord used at a time that I really desperately needed to have a word have a settling word, have an encouraging word from him. And he used this scripture. Now, I was taught by a preacher that helped me years ago. He said, when you come to a verse that's got that connected word as this one has, you, you won't understand what he's saying unless you relate it to what has been said. And so let's just back up tonight. I, I read in this pulpit three or four years ago, the first part of chapter 45, I didn't preach from it, I read from here, and we went to Romans 8. But I want to read tonight because this is so vital to what I'm going to talk about. And I'm going to read more scripture than usual, but I'm not going to preach as long tonight. I don't need to. Let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 45. It's, I've written a note here. It's one of the most moving scenes in all the Bible. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Joseph has, he's been in, he's been in Egypt 22 years. He's 17 year old when they, they sold him, rejected him and sold him into slavery. He is 30 years old when he came before Pharaoh. Seven years of plenty has taken place. And at this time, two years of the famine has already taken place. So that would bring into focus, that'd make him 39 years old. So 22 years. He hadn't seen these brethren. And uh, they made a trip down there, some of them, and they've gone back. But now here they are now. And, and Joseph, the scripture says in verse 
1 of 45. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me, and there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known to his brethren. And he wept aloud. Literally, they, he gives forth strong weeping is the idea. Uh, it's uncontrollably, really. He just pours his heart out. He wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said to his brethren, I'm Joseph. If my father yet live, now notice he's very close, his father to him, and he was to his father. Very first question he asked them about the welfare of his father, even if he's still alive. Does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled in his presence. That's an N word. That's our word. We get the word terror, terrified. They were terrified. They were troubled at his presence. Joseph said to his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall be neither earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all of his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye and go up to my father and say to him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou, thy children, and thy children's children, thy flocks and thy herds, and all that thou hast. And there I will nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou, thy household, and all that thou hast come to poverty. And behold, your eyes see in the eyes of my brother Benjamin that it's my mouth that speaketh unto you, and you shall tell my father of all of my glory in Egypt and of all that you've seen. And you shall haste and bring down my father hither. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he <coughs> kissed all of his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come. And it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say to thy brethren, this do ye, lay ye beast, and go and get you to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households, and come unto me, and I'll give you the good of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, this do ye. Take your wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. And the children of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh, and gave them provision for the way. To all of them he gave each man changes of raiment, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. And to his father he sent after this manner, 10 asses laden with the good things of Egypt, and 10 she asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. 
So he sent his brethren away, and they departed. And he said to them, See that you fall not out by the way. Now he knew this, capable of having an argument and a quarrel and fighting on their way. So he admonished them a little bit. See that you fall not out by the way. They went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive and he's governor over all the land of Egypt and Jacob's heart fainted for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said unto them and when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived and Israel, that's the other name for him, and Israel said, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I'll go and see him before I die. And now our text scripture. Would you stand with me as we read these few verses? Change our position here a moment. Jacob, the old man that he is, 130 years old, the shock of what he just heard was almost too much for him and then in a moment of despair, he, he about fainted and couldn't handle it. But there was something that convinced him. He said, it's enough. Really, literally, he said, I'm convinced. He said, uh, I'll go see him before I die. And Israel took his journey with all that he had, came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. He said, I'm God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I'll go down with thee into Egypt, and I'll also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. And Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, and their little ones, and their wives, and the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They took their cattle and their goods, which they'd gotten in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all of his seed with him, his sons and his, his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters. And all of his seed brought he with him into Egypt. Thank you, and you may be seated. I preach a series of messages sometime. I, I haven't in, in, in detail in a while, but when I was in the pastorate, I'd often preach series. If I was not preaching through a book, I would just sometimes take a, a series of messages and time together and spend a considerable amount of time with our people and ask them to think with us about a subject. I took the subject in the Bible and uh, where double names are mentioned. And a number of them. You find a number of them. I'm not sure. I'd have to go and look at the series. But most of the time, it's a name of a person. Sometimes it's a name of a place. But we took the, the message, uh, the, the name Abraham. Abraham, when God came to him. And let me say, each time it was always a major crisis in their life. It was a time that... Uh, after that, it became a turning point in their life. Abraham, Abraham, he came to Moses, Moses out of a bush and spoke to him. Came to Samuel, 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 really got his attention. He 
came to Simon, Simon, Saul, Saul, Martha, Martha. But here, Jacob has been convinced that his son that he had long since felt was dead and gone, he's convinced that he's alive, And he leaves and he goes about as far as that he can go in the southernmost part of his land. And he's at that town there just before getting out of the land of Canaan. And he stops there that night. And he builds an altar unto God. That was, uh, I think, a rather sacred place for for the family. His grandfather before him worshipped there. His father worshipped there. His grandfather, he, 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 he was there and planted a tree. His father was there and dug a well. And here's Jacob that night. Has packed up everything he's got and put it in these wagons. And he's headed toward a strange land. And he's headed there with uh, some apprehension. Headed there with some turmoil within him. He's headed there with some fear. And he stops that night and God comes to him. And God speaks to him, not just Jacob, but it's the devil name. Jacob. Jacob. And he says, here am I. And God has something to say to him that really settled this old patriarch down. You don't find it says he was fearful after this at all. Really calmed the inner part of this aged man. Facing that which was uncertain to him. Facing something that was disturbing him. Facing something that uh, I think if he'd had his... You know, his preference, he, he, he wouldn't have chosen where he's headed. Never been. I mean, he just sort of been in a particular area all of his life. And now they're picking him up, and I repeat, taking off to a strange land with him. Got him and everything he's got in a wagon, or wagons, plural, and headed out. You know, I got to thinking, I, I, I thought, and I guess if you reach 130, you'd probably think your moving days is over, amen? I mean, you, you get to be 130, I mean, uh, someone, someone said to me, said, old people don't like to move, and I wouldn't know anything about that, but, but uh, say, older people don't like to move. Young people, oh, that excites young people. Young people, it's, it's adventurous to them. They like to just, you know, just move around, but not older folks. And here's Jacob. Headed out to a place that he's never been. That a place that I'm sure he's heard Grandpa talk about the trouble he got into when he went there. And all of that's been passed down. He, I mean, he's not in the dark about, about the life of his Grandpa Abraham and, and, and his father Isaac that headed that way. That made the same mistake and God stopped him. And now here's God telling him, I want you to go. I want you to go to Egypt. And the Bible says that Jacob, he heard something and he saw something 
that caused him to just pack up and leave. I want to talk to us tonight about, well, you, you, you can call it a crisis, I, I will, but I, I want to use the word change tonight. When you're confronted with something that you could describe as a change, and it has an element of, uh, of fear and anxiety, and perhaps it's threatening you a little bit. That's something we all, as humanity, we're, we're constantly in some form of change. Change sometimes is in the physical realm. Sometimes you could just, I mean, that's just something the human family knows something about. And I was reading some time ago on those that study such things on the, on the chart that uh, they, they were telling what certain things, uh, uh, amount of stress that can bring into a person's life. And it was of interest to me, moving brings stress. It's right up toward the top. It's up there with those biggies like divorce and death and things like that. They say when a person has to move, I mean, it affects us like that. Well, this man... The crises that he's facing, that God uses his name in a double way and, 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 and settles him down and lets him know that he, he's going to go with him. Uh, he faces it. And I, I, I'm interested tonight how Jacob was able to face this change and do it in a way that uh, he, as I said a moment ago, he, he just he settled down. There's no, no apparent fear after God comes to him. And I want to talk for a few minutes tonight about facing the changes of life. Facing them unafraid. How can we do that? I made a note. I'm not even sure who, who the note came from, but someone in reading, I transferred it from a note here to remember tonight, and he said this about this experience of Jacob. He said, Jacob is being cheered in the midst of his change by an unchanging God. I like it. He's being cheered. He's being encouraged in the midst of his change. And one of the first things that God said to him, let me tell you who I am. I'm the God of your father. I was his God. I'm your God. So how do we face the changes of life? Now, I'm not going to go into any detail. I said to you earlier that uh, I, I, I thought about it. I pondered it sitting there a moment ago. I, I expect that uh, at least in my understanding, it was probably one of the most difficult days in my Christian life. One of the, the hardest decisions that I had ever had to make. Uh, and yet, uh, in the midst of that, the Lord began to show me something out of this scripture right here. And it would be, it'd be an understatement to say that uh, fear and anxiety was, was gripping me. I'd go to bed with it. And if you've gone to bed and something's really got in your spirit, the moment that you awake, you think of it, I mean, it's just that. That's the first thing you think about. 
You get a little anxious about something, something disturbing you, and you can't just you can't just cast it out of your mind. You go to bed with the thing, you get up with it, 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 it and it was about to get to the place that it was overwhelming me, and I couldn't escape it. I tried to forget it, I tried to ignore it, and yet, in the heart of heart, I knew God was saying something, and it involved a change. It was involved in a, a major change. And just to be honest, I, I didn't want to. And, and uh, if you've never been there, you may not can relate to it, but oh, such a civil war got within me. And I can honestly say in the fear of God, reading this scripture, this text came alive in my heart. And God said, wait a minute. What? I'm going to go with you. You don't have to go alone. You, you do what I want you to do. If you listen to me, I'll be there when you get there. You don't have to, you don't have to spend one day alone. Uh, someone said to my daughter, she was hearing me preach one night. And Becky, this goes back. Becky, she's a grown lady now. We're in her 30s. And she, she was with me in service. And, and on the way home, Becky must have been 10, 12 years old. And she said, Dad, you know, you, you say something. You say it two or three times a night. And said, it's, uh, it sounds, it's, it sounds uh, uh, a little strange. And I said, what is it, Becky? And she said, you said, God said to me. God said to me. <laughs> I said, does that sound strange to you? She said, but. Dad, is it audible? I said, no, Becky, it's louder than that. Amen. (laughs) You know, if you've ever had God to say something in your heart, and here, it's not... It's not a lot of times. It's not on every page in the Bible. You, you, you have sovereign God coming and speaking to a servant in the Bible and called him by name, and especially using his name in repetition. But here, Jacob, Jacob. And, and when he got his attention, when Jacob, when Jacob responded affirmative, the first thing he said, I am God. And then began to speak to him. What are you facing tonight that maybe brought about a little apprehension, a little fear, a little uncertainty? Kind of disturbed you. You, you, you sort of would wish maybe you're not going to have to face that. Maybe in the physical, maybe the doctor said something to you. Maybe it's relational in your family. There's something disturbed the family. You wish there's a family called me the other night, and he said, my wife's on the extension, Brother Hurt. We both want to talk to you. She said, Brother Hurt, you're not our preacher, and you haven't been our pastor in 20 years. Of course, I've been out of the pastor at 16, but I, it was in a former church, not my last one. And it's been 20-some years. And she said, and she's kind to me, said, we think of you often as our pastor. Hadn't seen him in years. He told me what, why he called, and then she motioned her voice. She said, Brother Hurt, and she called her husband's name. But I just said before we called you, I wish we could go to sleep tonight. It was late in the night. I wish we'd go to sleep tonight and wake up in the morning. This whole thing was a dream. And she said, when we wake up in the morning, this heartbreak will still be here. This heartache will still be here. It's not a dream. 
And they'd called, asked me to pray, and asked me some questions. Well, what do you do when somebody you love is in trouble? And it's disturbed the situation, and it's brought about awesome, if I can use the word change, or let's use the word here, crises. Webster says a crisis is any crucial situation. And sometimes it's in the physical, the financial, sometimes it's in the relational area. Well, you can just go on and on. Sometimes it may be as what he's facing here. Maybe a change as far as even, even, even the household is concerned. Well, how do you face that without just pushing panic buttons and, and going to pieces and upsetting everyone around us? Jacob, I think, has got some lessons for us. There's four of them tonight. I want to use the word change to preface what I'm going to say. It's such a simple message, and it's a little difficult for me to try to put it in a message form. But uh, I sense the Lord wants me to. And, and uh, let's just, first of all, let, let, me, let me just say this, and then I'm going to move on to the last three. Uh, I, I'm going to just simply say this. Now, you need to think a little bit to see where I'm going. I, I'm going to use the statement, see change. I mean by that, don't, don't ignore it. Don't deny it. Don't refuse it. I mean, just look it square in the face. Call it by its right name. See, there's no virtue in putting our head in the sand about something that's disturbing us and putting herself in denial and saying that it doesn't exist. And oftentimes we do that, and God can never help a person until He just looks it square in the face and says, this is where I'm at, and this is who I am, and this is what's going on. So my suggestion tonight is this. Number one, if we're going to, if we're going to be able to get through it as God comes to him and says, fear not. Don't, don't let fear rack you. Don't let fear cripple you. Don't let fear destroy you and, and bring you down through something that's difficult to handle. And so God comes to him and says to him in verse number three, he said, fear not. Don't be afraid of this, Jacob. So I suggest number one, see, see change but then see God in control. In control of your situation. Somebody, I can almost hear him say, but Brother Hurts, you don't know what, what I'm facing. Well, the Bible, we won't go there, but it's a verse that will relate to this that I'm going to refer to here in a moment. What, jo what Joseph said about the situation. God says all things. Now you listen to him a moment. You say, Brother Hurt, you don't know the situation. I had a person that challenged me on that the other night and said, Brother Hurt, you quoted all things works together for good to them that love God and called according to His purpose. And to be honest, he's a little upset, he and his wife. And he said, let me tell you what's disturbed us. And there was something that ought not to be in, to be honest with you. And he said, are you to tell us and involve one of his children that somebody had violated, had terribly wronged, he said, are you to tell me that that's good? I said, no, that's evil. It was when it happened, and it'll always be evil. God don't say evil becomes good. That's not what He said. God says, when He says all things work together for good, it's not things that work, it's God at work in the midst of things, even ugly things and bad things, and He can turn them out for good. 
And so what we have to come to understand is when something negative happens, that doesn't mean God is helpless and He couldn't have done anything about it. There's a book written by a, a Jewish rabbi back oh, a few years back. Some of you are familiar with that book. It sold over 500,000 copies in hardback before it ever went into paperback. And he talked about when bad things happen to good people. And his thesis was that God's a good God, but God's not all-powerful. Well, He's wrong. God is a good God, and God is all-powerful. Doesn't mean because something that's negative happens, and something you know that you can't explain, it doesn't mean that God is impotent and powerless, and He couldn't have done anything about it. God's on His throne tonight. So whatever's facing you tonight, I don't know who God's wanting to talk to, but whatever's facing you that's disturbing you or a family member tonight, are you listening? Do you love God tonight? Are you in God's family? You're His child tonight? God's got a purpose. You're called according to His purpose. Listen carefully. What you're facing tonight, see it. Don't look. Don't turn away from it. See change and see God in control. You know what it was that settled this? Could I call him an old man? I guess if he's 130, I can say an old man without being disrespectful. Amen. And, and you know what really settled him down? Says he, he heard something and he saw something. Look at verse 27. Said when he heard the words and when he saw the wagon. Now you know what those words were? You know what Joseph told those brothers of his to go back and tell their dad? Verse 5 through 9, in those, in those five verses, God's name, I circled them this afternoon just looking at them, God is mentioned four times. See, when you study the life of Joseph, I've been studying Genesis all this year. I take a book and just for my own purpose, I just like to stay in it and just study it. And, and I've just been in Genesis for a while. And I love to study the lives. I've studied Jacob. I've studied Joseph. I'm now studying Abraham. I want to open back. I'm studying the life of Abraham now. And have four or five different people's writings on Abraham and just reading them and thinking about them. But when you study Joseph, there's one, I mean, there's one thing that characterizes Joseph. And Joseph was able to relate everything that happened to him. He relates it to God. Here, he, four times, he says, in 5 through 9 of chapter 45, he said, it, he said, it wasn't you that sent me down here. God sent me here. He said, God sent me before you. Verse 8, he says, but God. And down in verse number 9, he said, God had made me Lord. I mean, he, he relates, Joseph always does this. He relates everything that happens to him. He doesn't say, oh, just by chance, or that was an accident. No, he sees God in everything. You go back to chapter number 41, and, and uh, someone told the king, told Pharaoh, he needed a, a dream interpreted. And they said, that, well, there's a fellow over here in prison. He can interpret dreams. And when he took off over there, verse 16, you know what Joseph said? He said, it's not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer. Well, it had been some of us, we'd have said, man, you've come to the right place. We, we, we've got the answer. Not Joseph. Joseph said to the most powerful political man on earth, when he come over there and said, I've been told you can interpret a dream. And he said, not in me. 
but God will do it. Been down there a while. His boys were born. He named those boys, and both of those boys indicated that he's related his very existence to God. He named one of them Manasseh. He, he named the other Ephraim. Manasseh means forgetfulness, and Ephraim means fruitfulness. He said, God has caused me to forget the trouble of my father's home. And God has made me fruitful in this land. Do you see God? I said to someone today, and we was talking, I said, oh, wait a minute. I think we ought to see God. We ought to wake up in the morning and say, Lord, let me see you in everything that's happening. Oh, I don't think, I don't think you ought to base do that. If we've got eyes to see and ears to hear. I won't embarrass anyone, but the pastor prayed at lunch, and I said to his son, he took me back to the room. I said, uh, there's a statement the pastor used in his prayer spoke to me. And I may not quote it verbatim, but he's talking to the Lord. He said, Lord, help us to hear your voice throughout the day and what you've got to say to us. Do you awake in the morning and meet him in this book? And say, Lord, this is the day you've made, and I'll rejoice and be glad in it. And, and your word is a lamp under my feet, and it's a light under my path. And speak, Lord, I'm going to listen to you. And Lord, if there's something, and, and I said to these, these young preachers today, I said, so often God speaks to me through another person. Oh, see God in all of your situations. Don't ignore God. God's not just yonder far in the heavens. He is on the throne. But He's a God that's omnipresent. And He's a God present tense with you all the time. Why, Joseph, even when it's all over and they're down there before Him, you know what He said in that classic verse? He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The preacher said to me the other day, he said, Brother Hurt, how could a man come to that place and, and say that confidently and have it recorded in the Scripture? I said, well, I think it goes without saying, Joseph knew God. And in particular, two things about God. He knew that God was in control, and he knew that God cared for him. You want to use two other words? He knew that God was sovereign and God was good. And Joseph knew that God was his God. Are you listening? Had a preacher saying, he really helped me. And, 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 I, and I'm not standing here saying uh, that I've arrived, and I haven't. But he said, Brother Herb, if you're walking with God, he said, y'all not use the word accident. Accidents don't happen. Boy, I thought I'd been in one. <laughs> I said, really? He said, no. He said, he said, I think if we get to know him well enough, they're not so much as accidents, they're appointments. And God will say, we need to ask him, Lord, why are you, you know, what's my appointment here? Now, you know, I'm quoting him. I'm not standing up here saying, you know, I've arrived, but I believe he's right. I really do. I think he's right. You say, Brother Hurt, I'm facing something that's bringing a little apprehension, a little fear. It's disturbed me. As someone said to me in recent hours, it, it sort of wakes me up early. I got this problem, Brother Hurt. Oh, I identify with that. We all do. And Jacob, here he is, moving him out of his homeland, 130-year-old man, picking up what belongings. I don't know how much, I don't know what they took, but when Pharaoh sent the word in verse 20, he told him, said, don't regard your stuff. Now, that'd be difficult to go off and leave your stuff, amen? 
Men know what I'm talking about. You say, what kind of stuff? Well, your stuff. My wife say to me, I say to her, what'd you do with my stuff? <laughs> she said, put it in your room where it belongs. Get it out of the bedroom. You know what I'm talking about. Fellas, they're smiling. Ladies, they know. They're always, they're always doing something with our stuff. Amen? <laughs> well, he said, don't regard your stuff. There's plenty down here. You're going to get in here and eat the fat of the land. That's the most powerful man on earth talking to this sheep herder over there. Been over there herding sheep all of his life. He goes down there, and before it's over, he pronounces a blessing on the most powerful man on earth. But here, when he heard the words, and Joseph said, go tell him, God's in control. God was in this whole thing. Oh, it doesn't mean it wasn't evil what those brothers did, of course, and that was wrong, and they had to face the wrong. But God being the sovereign God, he can step in, overrule any time he wants to. And something the devil intends to hurt you, God can turn it around and bring glory to him and blessings to you tonight. Boy, if we ever get a hold of that, it'll let us sleep at night. That God is in total control. I said that not long ago, and there was a brother, and I could tell. He's sitting here close enough I could see him. He'd shuck his head, no, he'd disagree. And he, he challenged me after service. He said, I don't believe that, he said. I said, you don't believe what? And I didn't know what preacher thing got controversial with him. He said, I don't believe God's in total control. I said, really? Man alive, you don't believe that? I told the preacher. He said, I don't believe that. I said, but how much control would you say he had? Well, he said, I said, uh, you think he's got 50% control? Oh, he's got more than that, he said. <laughs> I said, 75? I said, what about 90? Well, he said, maybe. I said, no, you listen just for a moment. There's 10%. You acknowledge it. Maybe God doesn't have anything to do with it. What if your problem falls into that area? You don't even have a God. Oh, listen, I like what Dr. Rogers often says, and I've heard him say it through the years. He says, there's no panic in heaven, just plans, and everything's on schedule. Friend of mine, when I'm preaching, and he preaches along that line, and, and he'll walk around and he'll say, he said, he said, God's not pacing the floor and, and wondering what he's going to do. He's got it under control. Ah, yeah. oh, that'll, that'll settle us when we realize, and when we see what's going on, just look at it, and then realize that God is in control. I'll make three simple suggestions. Well, that's, that's basic, and you've got this simple message tonight. How to face the changes of life. How to face the crises. How to do it as Jacob is doing it. And fears settle down. And he heads down into Egypt. And he becomes more than what he's ought to be in through the years. Jacob, I mean Israel's attached to him. And old Jacob, he's down there bringing glory to God. And on his way down, he saw change, but he saw God still in control. Second, See change, listen, see change and then see it as a time of commitment to God. Not getting away from God, not withdrawing from God, but see change, learning from Jacob here. I've already said when he began to realize, he heard those words and saw those wagons and there's a number of wagons full of all the good things from Egypt and he knew they couldn't have got all, they didn't have money to buy that. He knew indeed my son's alive. And he heard those encouraging words that he's governor of that land and God's done this and God's in control. 
And old Jacob said, it's enough. I'm convinced. That's sufficient. But you know what he did? He didn't get mad and rebellious and, and full of self-pity and pout and complain because he's going to have to move? No. You know what he does? He builds an altar. And So I learned from that tonight, just trying to learn from Jacob here, that I ought to see change and see God in control, but I ought to see change as a time of commitment, maybe a new commitment, a deeper commitment to God. And here he is, facing his future at an altar. Here he is on his knees. Here he is taking everything about him and just putting it at the altar at the feet of the Lord. Something disturbing you tonight? Don't run from it. Look it square in the face and realize God's still on the throne and then make a new commitment to God. Sell out to God like you've never been and say, Lord, I'm on rock, stock, and bell. I'm going to give you all I've got tonight. And later you'll talk about something that disturbs you will turn into being a delight. That thing I was talking about, and I won't go in detail, I'm not permitted, but I tell you, one of the darkest, most difficult experiences became one of the most blessed experiences that this preacher's ever experienced. God came to me in ways that I couldn't even tell you about it. And yet it was out of a situation that the devil and circumstances especially, I don't think the devil even had to, I think the circumstances was what was overwhelming me. Getting me to think God had left me and I'm going to have to do something all alone and trying to figure out how I'm going to meet my needs and what's going to happen here and what's going to happen there. And I tell you, about, I mean, it drove me up a wall. It got so two or three hours is all I could sleep until one day God said, I'm God. I'm your God. I've been your God through these years. Did I meet a need for you before? I haven't changed. God seemed to say to me, quit all of this fretting and all of this here full of fear and commit yourself like you've never committed. Die to yourself. And have a new altar in your life. So I suggest tonight, if there's something disturbing us, see it. Look at it. Don't run from it. See change as Jacob did, but see God in control. See change as a time of commitment, maybe new commitment, new dedication. I read Psalm 73 in my psalm today, and a man was real disturbed as he's looking around and said, until he went in the sanctuary of the Lord. And when he went in the sanctuary, it, it settled him down. He went in there and worshiped. So I suggest third and fourth and final, listen carefully. We need to see change if we're going to follow Jacob's example tonight, but see God. Being in control, going ahead of us. Doing that which he, he, he had no idea he was doing. But it was made clear to him and he, he recognized it and he accepted it. But he saw it as a time to go and build an altar. But listen, third, not only see change and see God in control, see change as a time of commitment to God, but see change and then consider that some things never change. Your situation may be changing tonight. But did you know there's some things that never change? Look at what God said to him. Verse 3. He said, I'm God. You know, that'll, that, that'll settle us if we ever get a hold of it. I, the Lord thy God, I change not. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But not only God in His person never changes, God in His promises never change. 
Look at verse 3. He told him, said, he said, fear not to go down in Egypt. Now notice, he said, for I will there make of thee a great nation. Did you know God had promised that earlier? He told his grandfather Abraham, he's going to make a great nation. He just didn't tell him where it's going to take place. Though he did tell him his seed's going to Egypt for 400 years. But here's God coming and, 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 and reassuring him. Listen, Jacob, your situation is changing. Your place of living is changing. You're even changing to a new country. But you need to, be, you need to consider there's some things, though you're in the midst of change, there's some things that never changes. I don't change, and my word doesn't change. So I need to see change tonight and see God still in control. See change is a time for me to make a commitment, maybe a new commitment to God. Oh, consider in the midst of your change that there are things that never change. And then I close by saying this. I think we need in, in closing, look at verse 4, what he says. He said, I'll go down with you and I'm going to bring you back again. Now he did in, in, in his descendants, but they brought him, his remains back. But there's something sweet here. Notice what he says. This one that he had long missed and loved. He, he says to him, And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. Now we may not get a hold of that as quickly as he would. He has a custom that day, and it's come down through. It's, I don't know that it's still, but it, it's been a custom in certain areas and certain, certain cultures through the years. Somebody very close to you, if you could request it, when you died, they would close your eyes. One of the last acts of, uh, of love to you. You know what God is telling this aged man? He probably had a lot of thoughts. What's going to happen to me? I'm going to go down there. Those Egyptians, are they going to destroy my family? And God is saying to him, let me tell you, Jacob, I'm going with you, and I'm going to even let you know that you're going to die a peaceful death. And that son that you've missed and you love, I'm going to let him be there beside of you. And he's going to close your eyes in death. You say, Brother Hurt, what's the suggestion? I said, there's four lessons. I want to first of all see God in control in the midst of my change. See it as an opportunity of committing to God anew and afresh. See that some things and consider that things never change. But then I would to count as I look upon the, this situation I'm in. I would to count on God's sustaining presence. When you get to where God's wanting you to go, are you listening? Did you know God's going to be there? He's going to be ahead of you? That verse over in the book of 2 Timothy, Paul is dying. It's his close, closing remarks to his young preacher, Timothy. And he reminds Timothy the time that no man stood with him and said, all men forsook me, chapter 4 and verse 16. But then he quickly says, notwithstanding, though in spite of men leaving me, Paul said, listen, said, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. I mean, here, here's this dying apostle writing and saying, Timothy, there'll probably come a time when you need somebody to stand and maybe they'll be like, it, like my situation. They left me. No one stood with me. But said, the Lord stood with me, and Timothy, he strengthened me. What is it? Let me just close by saying this. What is it that's disturbing you tonight? Who am I speaking to? Oh, don't, don't deny it. Don't run from it. 
Just look it square in the face. Face reality. But then quickly realize God is God and He's on the throne. He's in control. And don't let something disturb you, cause you to lose your, lose your walk with God. Get closer to God. Be reminded tonight that there's things that the most important things in life never changes. And then count on God's presence. Count on His sustaining presence. Wherever you are called up on to go, did you know you can actually depend on Him? You can count on Him being there? I preached two weeks ago, three weeks it's been now, the first week of the month before going to Alabama. I was preaching west of where I live. And uh, I, I was talking, not this message, but one similar. I was closing, but talking about, and I dealt with some burdens and different things like that. And I was talking about in God's presence there, He's nigh the broken in heart and so on. And I was using a broken heart in the sense there of, you know, when, when you're just shattered and you're bereaved and you need to cast your care on Him. And, and I knew about the situation, but I, I probably should have, but I might have been a little reluctant. I may not have been as, you know, as, uh, you, you know, to the point as I was. And I noticed the pastor and his wife there, and I noticed he was trying to comfort her. And, and he had his arm around her, and there were just obvious tears, and he was weeping. And I thought when I kind of glanced, I know that they was on the front, these, these young folk out here. And I thought when I, when I said that, it, something just, all, I was reminded. They, you're talking about a situation. They were caught up in a situation. They lost an 18-year-old boy. I think it's been coming up on four years. Tragically killed. Killed at the hands of three or four other thugs. Mutilated his body. Found out he had a few dollars on him. These dopeheads. They chased him off the side and, and, and it was terrible what they did to him. And they, they didn't find his body for all, oh, it was probably three or four months. One of them that he claimed he wasn't a part of it, but he got charged because he's with us. He came and said, I can't live with you. He told. Took him to where he was at. Animals had already, they just found his stuff. And I was talking about, oh, you can come, and, and this point would have been, you know, you can just, you can count on him. He'll be there. He won't leave. And, I, and then it dawned on me, oh, I'm probably re reopening my wounds here. And I glanced down, and he, he was, a, he's got a, a rather bass, loud voice. He said, Brother Hurt, tell us about it. Amen to what he said. Oh, he said, if he hadn't have been there, we, we wouldn't be here tonight. It broke my heart. It really did. I have, I have grandchildren. We have three children. I have seven grandchildren. And, and when they told him, he was one that went out there. And the police tried to keep him back, but he, he said, I, I saw his, I saw his name on my, my boy. Animal. Found his body. But he said this. He got up and he commented. He said, church knows this, of course. And he looked at me and he said, Brother Hurt, tell the story wherever you go. That he won't run out on you. He said, he pulled my wife and I up so close to him. He said, we wake up late in the night and couldn't sleep. And said, Jesus said, I'm here with you. <laughs> and said, our boy loved Jesus. He's absent from the body. He's with the Lord. We sure miss him. 
We don't understand it. We're not blaming God. He said, God's give us grace. We don't blame Him. We don't even de demand to understand. We're just trusting Him. And said, He's sure walking with us, brother. Huh? Boy, I went back to that room that night and I thought, oh, God. And then I said, Lord, I'm glad you're that kind of God. Oh, you can count on His sustaining presence. Oh, He said, Jacob, you're going somewhere that's about to scare you to death. But I'm your God and I'm going with you. And when I get down there, I'm going to be there. When you get there. And I'm going to bring you back. And to further encourage you, I'm going to let that boy close your eyes in death. He'd be standing right there with you, Jacob. And I think old Jacob got up and climbed up in that wagon and said, let her roll. Amen. <laughs> On his way. Ah, oh, listen, what is it about keeping us awake tonight? And I'm not, I'm not preaching down to you. I'd already said, I'm talking to us tonight. Because that's who we are. Oh, Jacob, he's God's man. But God had to say to him, fear not. And he's saying to some of us tonight, now you may not, you may say, this, this is not relative. This doesn't relate to me. I don't want to discourage you, but hang around. I mean, man born a woman's few days and full of trouble. You're not exempt from it. So what do we do with our trouble? Stand with me, please. The Lord bless you. I, I've come with a little different approach tonight. I've been dealing with revival teams the other three, the other not three nights. The Lord said tonight, no, I don't want you to. I don't want you to deal with that tonight. I want you to just talk to the people. Talk to their hearts about the crises of life. The times that come to us all that has a way of disturbing us. And let them know I'm still their God. Regardless, and I'm still in control. You may want to come tonight and cast your care on him. You may just want to come out of a sense of gratitude and talk. I don't know. I don't put any pressure on people, but I just know if God's speaking, you may miss God if you do not respond. While we wait, you come tonight, Father. Make it easy for us to say yes to thee. And we bless you and praise you in his worthy name. Amen.